I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as I mentioned before the break, uh, you know, America is more technologically connected than we've been at any point in history. Uh, and yet our social capital seems to be in decline. Political division is running deep. Communities are crumbling. And the country appears to be more narcissistic and fragmented than ever before. And so here's the big question. Is the answer to what ails society to be found uh, in the idea of this concept called upswing, uh, that we the people, it's the we of we the people. Uh, so I had a chance to sit down with Robert Putnam and uh, Shailen Romney Garrett uh, to go through and look at this particular issue and talk about where are we, how does it uh, fit into context uh, with what uh, we have in our history of course, Robert Putnam is the Malkin Research Professor of Public Policy at Harvard University. He's probably best known as the author of Bowling Alone, uh, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And uh, Shailen Romney Garrett uh, is a writer. She actually lives here in Utah, in uh, Washington, Utah. Uh, she was also a founding contributor to Weave, the Social Fabric Project. Uh, and they are the co-authors, as I mentioned, of the book Upswing, How America Came Together a Century Ago and How It Can Do It Again. Uh, they will also be participating this Thursday in an event uh, with the Wheatley Institution uh, that you don't want to miss. You can go to uh, to their website. We'll put that up on ours uh, as well, so you can register to that event. Uh, but let's start with uh, my conversation with them. I, I asked uh, Shailen to kind of give us a little bit of the background uh, in terms of where we are today and how does that fit into the historical context. Here's what she said. You know, Americans disagree on just about everything these days. But one thing I think that they agree on is to a certain extent, these are the worst of times. Um, the, the survey question that's been asked for many years um, about, about you know, whether America is heading in the right direction or is on the wrong track, more people than ever before uh, in this year said that America was on the wrong track. So America is in a very difficult situation. And that difficult situation is characterized by unprecedented prosperity, educational opportunity, and personal freedom. But extreme income inequality, relentless polarization in the political sphere, a lonely, isolated public that feels disillusioned and disconnected, as well as a culture that is extremely self-focused, focused on the I. So the question of this book is, how did we get here? How did we get into this situation? And there have been many books written on that topic in the last decade or so. Um, 
that you could kind of call them the how America got into such a mess genre <laughs> book. And, and generally speaking, those books focus on either one aspect of these problems that we've just laid out. Um, and in fact, Bob's famous book, Bowling Alone, is one of those books that focused on the decline of community and connectedness and social capital over the last half century. So a lot of books have focused on one aspect of these problems, and a lot of books focus just on that half century of decline, because these things have been getting worse and worse over the last several decades. The upswing, however, aims to take a bit of a broader view. Well, we focus on four different aspects of American society. We focus on economics, politics, society, and culture, and ask what direction have we been moving in on those different measures, and not just over the last half century, but over a 125-year period. So by zooming the lens out to look at a bigger, broader swath of history, and by looking at more than just one metric, we're looking at all these different metrics to measure the health of American society, what we see is actually that over the last roughly century, we have gone from a very I-focused society, improved toward a more we-focused society, and then in roughly the 1960s, we turned back down to again arrive at a very I-focused society. So the upswing tells the story of America's I-we-I century and asks the question if we can turn the tide and turn the corner again back toward we. So I want to dive a little further into that in my conversation again with Robert Putnam and uh, Shailen Romney-Garrett and uh, their book Upswing. And so we, we started to drill down a little bit in terms of, you know, it's one thing to recognize, okay, we, we've been here before, the Gilded Age, the end of the uh, 1900s, we were in very much that I-centered society, not a we-centered society. And so I had Shailen go a little bit deeper uh, and asked her to explain just a little more of what that means and then where do we go from here? You know, all of these trends were moving in the right direction for 60 to 70 years, going from roughly 1910 to roughly the mid-1960s. And then we did this sort of societal backslip. And in a very short period of time, all of these different indicators all turned in a downward direction. When you look at some of the cultural harbingers of that turn, when you look at the period of the 1950s, what you see is people were really starting to get clear about some of the costs of conformity. Mm. Because oftentimes when you have a strong sense of community, what comes with it is a strong mandate for conformity, right? And so in the 1950s, you started seeing the rebel without a cause and catcher in the rye and uh, the organization man, you know, all of these sorts of critiques of that hyper uh, conformist push that came along with this we period, right? Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, what we did, instead of questioning that and sorting that out while keeping our strong sense of we, we did a backflip and moved in a hyper-individualistic direction. So the question, of course, becomes how do you have a strong sense of we without the sense that there's only one right way to be within that we? So that's one piece that I'd like to bring up. Another piece that, of course, we have to bring up is simply racial and gender inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. So Bob alluded to this, but the, the, the progressives who, of course, were without a doubt responsible for essentially writing the ship of American society in the early 1900s, they were nonetheless racist. 
not exclusively, but basically. And so they were having this moral awakening. Nonetheless, their circle of moral concern simply didn't extend to people of color. And the results of that were that a lot of the structural inequality that we're dealing with today, in a sense, was sort of knit into the progressive programs that came out of this period, right? And the way I like to think of it is sort of like these reformers just sort of kicked the racial reconciliation question down the road. Yeah. So as we uh, as we continue that conversation, uh, this really interesting back and forth in terms of where where are we in terms of kind of this rugged individualism that is very much part of our America DNA uh, and this communitarian approach, this compassion, this community that's so important. So I asked Robert Putnam to break that down for us of are these ideas competing? Is the individualism and community always in competition or is there a way to bring those together? Often, when we think about the opening of the West, we think of the lone cowboy, uh, Gary Cooper or somebody, riding across the West. And there certainly was, without a doubt, an important element of that rugged individualism, not only in, in, the, front, in the opening of the frontier, but also in, the, in American culture. But, you know, an equally important symbol, actually an even more important symbol of the opening of the West was the wagon train. And the wagon train meant opening up the West not as one isolated individual, one isolated cowboy, but as a group of people moving together. And that's a we. The we is at least as important an element in American culture as the I. I would say actually slightly more important. And, you know, you go back to the first person to notice the importance of community in America, Alexis de Tocqueville, came to America in the 1830s and talked about Americans were constantly forming associations because he saw how important cooperation was. Look, America is amazing. They're they're a success because they cooperate so much. But at the same time, Tocqueville, in the very same writings, invented the term individualism. So he was aware at the very origin of our thinking about community in America that America also was a very individualistic place. the term he used to reconcile those two halves of American culture was Americans did follow their self-interest, but self-interest rightly understood, which means you also had to worry about other people's interest. Back to Utah again. What's most interesting about Utah? Of course, individualism plays an important part in, in the culture of Utah. Sure it does. But actually, what's most distinctive about Utah, and the Utah advantage, so to speak, is the very strong importance of, of community as embodied, frankly, in those wagon trains that finally settled around Salt Lake. Again, my conversation with uh, Robert Putnam uh, and uh, uh, Shaylin Romney Garrett as we look at their book, Upswing. Uh, I love that competing of, of self-interest rightly understood. We're going to talk about that more coming up next. Stay with us right here on News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and we're going to continue my conversation uh, with Robert Putnam and uh, Shailen Romney Garrett. Uh, their book, uh, The Upswing, uh, is just a fascinating read if you haven't had a chance to get to that. They're also doing an event this Thursday with the Wheatley Institution. And uh, you can check that out. We've got that up on our uh, Facebook page today. And also my conversation with them uh, as a full podcast, if you want uh, some more of the information, uh, is on our Facebook page uh, as well. You can link in and hear the extended conversation for sure. Uh, but we want to continue on uh, where we left off just before the break uh, as we talked about this interesting idea of rugged individualism, uh, that self-interest, uh, and uh, as uh, Tocqueville liked to put it, that it's uh, self-interest rightly understood, uh, that really has this connection to community as well, this compassionate communitarian approach to things uh, that is very important. Uh, Robert Putnam talked about uh, the settling of the West and how it wasn't just the rugged individual cowboy going off into the frontier, uh, but uh, the real symbol, uh, the real American symbol was the wagon train and how important that was. Uh, We continued on our conversation, and uh, I asked Shailen Romney Garrett, uh, from, from her perspective, so many people are so we're recognizing where we are as a society. We're way too narcissistic. We're way too disconnected. We're way too isolated in so many ways. We have income disparity. Uh, we have a host of other uh, societal ills that are on the rise. Uh, again, very similar to what was taking place in the Gilded Era, late 1800s. Uh, and so I wanted to get to, so how does it change? What is it that creates that upswing into a more positive society? Because often we look to some political figure to walk in and uh, waltz into our lives and solve all of our problems. And as uh, she said, from their data, from their research, uh, that's just not the way it happens. You know, one thing is that I think a mistake that we often make is that we're always looking for some charismatic political leader to come and save us, you know, to lead the way forward into a brighter American future. But again, harking back to that period from which we take our lessons in the upswing, the the progressive era, again, charismatic political leadership was a lagging indicator. We often think of Teddy Roosevelt as characterizing the progressive era, but, you know, he came along later in that story, and he really built upon the work of grassroots innovators, organizers, activists, you know, the work that they had been doing for decades. And so what I really hope that people understand is that whether or not we enter another upswing depends entirely upon what we choose to do. The last upswing was driven by citizen innovation, grassroots 
association building, grassroots solution making. And that's what we believe will happen again. And so a lot of it just depends on whether we're going to get in there and roll up our sleeves. But I would also say that, as we've mentioned before, it's not just about what we do. It's about who we're going to be. Mm. And there is a lot of heart work, not hard work, although it is hard work, (laughs) heart, heart centered work that we need to do as a society to get back into a place of focusing on what we can do for one another and how that is our greatest strength. And and we need to be making sure that when we think about who is included in that, that it is fully inclusive. And so I would just hope that people would begin to realize that their own moral narrative matters and that that moral narrative will motivate this upswing or not. Uh, such such great insight uh, there from Shaylin, and uh, I love that idea that we have a lot of heart work, not just hard work, uh, but heart work, uh, and that is where we have to reconnect with each other in society. That we need to to put the uh, the division stuff away and set that aside and recognize again our problems are not going to be solved out of Washington or in some marbled hall. It's going to be up to us. One of the other things that she noted uh, in this conversation was that the the last time we had this upswing, so we went from this very narcissistic, individual-driven uh, era in the Gilded Age, and then suddenly we had this 60-, 70-year run where it was about we. It was coming together. And she said it was led by young people. It was young people figuring out new ways to reconnect. Uh, she talked about it, driven by citizen innovation, grassroots association, uh, grassroots solution making, community solutions. Uh, but it was the young people who were figuring out new ways to go from I to we that really moved the country in a new direction. The The politics was a lagging indicator. Uh, and I think that's so important. Uh, again, we've got this uh, all posted on our uh, website today. You can check that out. Uh, let me share with you one last segment uh, from Robert Putnam uh, as we got to kind of the, the therefore what question of what does this all mean? And and one of the things that really struck me uh, was the fact that in all the craziness of 2020, uh, this book, The Upswing, was actually at the printer uh, over a year ago. Uh, so it really looks prophetic now, knowing that they didn't get a chance to touch it or change it in the midst of the turbulence of the election, of the pandemic. Uh, of the racial unrest, of the aftermath of the election, uh, all of those things. And it is more relevant than anyone could have imagined or anyone could have written after all of those things took place. But the fact that this all was written before any of that took place, uh, to me, shows the how robust it is and how centered in in the data and in uh, real hard facts uh, their their writing is. Uh, so I asked the Robert Putnam the, the therefore what question. What should we be doing differently? What should we be thinking differently? How should we be behaving differently uh, as a result of this work? First of all, that this book was off in print at the publisher more than a year ago now. Right. Before the virus, before the politics of this year, before the economic catastrophe of this year, and so on. And so we wrote the book not having a clue as to what was just about to happen. And the thing that I think is really quite astonishing 
is that it turns out the book is even more relevant now than it was when we finished it. One of the things that we learned from the last uh, upswing was the importance of grassroots activity, that change was not a top-down, was a bottom-up phenomenon. But I think the hopeful sign right now is that you can begin to see the seeds of renewal in the country at the grassroots below the level at which we're so incredibly polarized nationally that we can't even talk to one another. There are very hopeful signs today, you know, a year and more after we finished this book, that we could be on the verge of a- another upswing. And it, it goes directly to what Shailin said. I think we're at a p- position in our own history right now, I mean, late February 2021, where we could be, if we work at it, at the beginning of, a, of another upswing. That's the hopeful argument of this book. Uh, again, the book is called The Upswing, uh, and it's such a it's a great read, a great insight. I encourage you to check it out. Again, it's by uh, Robert Putnam and Shaylin Romney-Garrett, and uh, just had a great conversation with them. But it does really show uh, that we are in a great point. Uh, whether we get the full upswing will be dependent on what each of us choose to do. If we choose to continue on a very uh, narcissistic, isolated path, uh, we're going to go one direction. Uh, if we reconnect to community and reconnect our place in it, uh, then we have all kinds of, of great things uh, yet ahead of us. We've been here before, folks. It's important to remember that. And what happens next is dependent on what each of us choose to do next. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to round out the show with whose land is it anyway? Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.